The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands on his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As a father has sent me, so I send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the nail marks and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, a week later, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, although the doors were locked, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and bring your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you come to believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written, that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through this belief you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. And first of all, before we begin, let me just first say Happy Easter to all of you. Remember, we can say Happy Easter all the way up into Pentecost, which is in the next couple of weeks. Because remember, as Catholics, and same thing at Easter time, or Christmas, rather. Christmas and Easter is more than a day. I know our culture just has a day, and then boom, you throw out the, you throw out the decorations, and you get ready for, for Halloween for next, right? No, not for us Catholics. We stay in the season. And in fact, Easter is 50 days long. So say happy Easter to everybody that you meet. Irritate them and let them realize that Easter is a beautiful season, not just a day. It's such a pivotal, pivotal time for us. And what a great joy to be in this Easter season with you because our entire religion rests on this fact. Do you realize Christianity comes tumbling down 
if Jesus is not raised from the dead. The entire edifice of our Judeo-Christian culture by which we now stand would come crumbling down if Jesus is still dead. So let's begin. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When you walked in here a few moments, you would have noticed that we were, the church was dimly lit. We were in what was called adoration. We were reading there before the Lord in the Eucharist, as you saw there in the Holy Eucharist. All of the candles were lit, the incense, you walked in, you smelled it. This is an ancient custom that we have that goes back centuries. Because the Holy Eucharist is Jesus Christ himself. Which is why I want to encourage you, especially if you're around town, notice that the side door here into the church is always open, by the way. It's always open for you to spend a few moments to spend with our Lord. Because as St. Peter beautifully said today in that second reading, the joy that we have in the risen Lord. And he says, and I love the line of Peter that he said, although you have not seen him, you love him. This is the heart of our Christian faith right here. To grow in love with Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, who conquers sin and death. And because it is love, love requires time, efforts, and to go out of our way and spend time with our beloved, which is why we spend time kneeling. We began at 730, kneeling before the Lord in prayer. To increase in that love. But what happens? What is one of the biggest obstacles from growing in love with Jesus? What is one of the hardest things that keeps us from really just being on fire with the love of Jesus Christ in our lives? We'll get to that later. I'll leave you hanging. You know, something happens when you grow deeper in your faith. And many of the great spiritual writers testify to this from St. John of the Cross, Teresa of Avila, St. Catherine of Siena, the great doctors, as we call them, of the church who wrote powerfully about the spiritual life. And they'll notice a dynamic within the human heart. See, as we draw closer to Jesus, when we start taking our faith more seriously and we start pushing away all of the stuff, all of the garbage that gets in the way of him, and as we start growing in holiness, you'll notice something about yourself and myself. Paradoxically, the closer we become to Jesus, the farther we feel from him. I'll say it again. The closer we get to God in our lives, in an authentic, and I have to stress, authentic spiritual life, you start to recognize just how far away we actually are from him. If you were to ask Mother Teresa or St. John Paul II, again, two saints who lived the Christian faith to the extreme, if they were still alive when we asked them, Mother Teresa, St. John Paul II, do you love Jesus Christ? You know what they would say? They said, no, I fail all the time. They would never say, you know what, I'm actually a good Christian. They would, a saint would never say that. Why? 
Because when we start drawing closer to the truth, when we start approaching the light, just like when, when in the darkness, you ever see a dirty window? It looks clean in the dark, doesn't it? You don't see the spots and the filth and the film. No. What happens when sunlight breaks through the window? Like, oh man, my windows are horribly dirty. <laughs> Same thing with the soul. As we approach the source of light, we start to see our failings. And we see how tiny we are compared to the magnificence of God. And in a sense, what happens, and this is all rooted in the evil one, if you hearken it back all the way to Genesis, when we fail, what creeps in is the emotion of shame. Shame. Shame and guilt are two different things. In our culture, when we speak just a normal day, everyday language, we tend to conflate the two. We use it interchangeably. I mean, that's, that's okay, no, normal everyday conversation. But guilt and shame are actually different. When we feel guilty, it's actually that emotion is rooted in the act of itself. We feel guilty for, for whatever act it is. It's independence. The focus is on the action, the immoral act, the behavior. But when we move into shame, shame Brings in the act, of course, but the shame and the emotion comes in because we're aware that it damages a relationship. The emotion of shame only exists in the context of love and relation. You can feel guilty all by yourself, but shame, when that comes in, is because we recognize that there is a rupture because of my action. And this emotion of shame rushes in. And what that shame tells us is that I am unworthy. I am unlovable. I am disgusting. When Adam and Eve first fell, they immediately felt shame. And when God came in, who had created them for relationship, what did it immediately do? They hid. Notice this about ourselves. Whenever we feel shamed, what do we immediately do when you confront somebody with an action and they feel shame? Are they looking at you? No. What do, what do the eyes do? They immediately <laughs> they go somewhere else. Why? Because the eyes are intense. And whenever we feel shame, we want to hide. That's, that's the next reaction. Don't look at me. Remember when you were raising your kids, <laughs> when they did something wrong and you caught them. See, a child immediately recognizes, oh, I've done something wrong. I've hurt the relationship between my parents. And when you confront them, did you eat the cookie that I told you not to eat? <laughs> what does a child do? Does a child look at you? No. Because they haven't quite learned that in order to be a convincing liar, you have to maintain eye contact. Ah, uh, the child hasn't learned that yet. And so they look everywhere but in your eyes. <laughs> because they know they've hurt the relationship. When our Lord now appears in the gospel today in our powerful reading, this is, to give you the context, this is just a couple days after his death. He appears to the disciples. You see, the disciples at this point were cowering in fear and shame. Why? 
because they failed Jesus, didn't they? They, had, they were following up for three straight years, spending every day with him. And then when they needed him most, when, they got, when he was arrested, they abandoned him to be tortured and killed and hung on the cross. Because where were they on the cross? They were gone. And so they were utterly ashamed for what they did. They failed their friend whom they said, oh, Jesus, I'll follow you all the way to the end. And then when it really mattered, when the rubber really hit the road, boom, they ran away as fast as they could. And so when Jesus now appears in the gospel, let me ask you. It said that they were in, they were in the room. Jesus burst through. Do you think at this moment, when they saw the risen Lord, do you think the disciples were looking at Jesus? <laughs> no. No, they were looking at him. Because they knew they failed their friend. And that is why the beautiful consoling words, and he repeats this three times in the gospel. Knowing that they were ashamed, he says to them, peace be with you. And I bet you at that moment, the disciples looked up. <laughs> because our Lord had presented them his divine mercy. When Jesus now, as we heard in the creed, so after our Lord died on Good Friday at 3 p.m., his soul immediately went to Sheol. It was, was, was known as the abode of the dead. It was that place, we call it, again, this is where English is... is, is is lacking because we use the word hell for this place as well. But there's actually a distinction here. Because Sheol is the place where all of the souls went to prior to the death of Jesus Christ. Because remember, nobody could get into heaven because of original sin. Jesus Christ, through his death, now pays that ransom for our sins. And so the moment that he died, now he descends into Sheol. This is where Moses would have been, Abraham St. Joseph himself would have been here. Again, all of the souls prior to coming of Jesus Christ was present here. And so our Lord now descends to Sheol. There would have been probably millions and millions of souls there. Our Lord would have come down now, marvelously brilliant. He would have radiated light just as he did, remember, at Mount Tabor. Because now our Lord was no longer hiding his divinity. Because at the time when he was alive on earth, the big question was, was whether or not he was God. Because he was hitting his divinity. But on two occasions, he showed his true self on Mount Tabor, one of them. And it said, if you recall from that powerful story, that our Lord shone. He said his light was more brilliant than that of the sun. So our Lord would have descended to Sheol, to all those millions of souls waiting for him. I wonder, who do you think Jesus spoke to first in Sheol? That's a huge question. Who do you think he went to first? Because guess who also was there? Our father, Adam. Adam was there. Now let me ask you, when Jesus Christ descended to Sheol, and he spoke to Adam to preach the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. Do you think Adam was looking at Jesus? No. No. Because Adam immediately knew it was all his fault. 
He knew he had fallen. He knew that he had ruptured the relationship with God that he was created for. He knew that he had failed as a husband to Eve when he should have been defending the garden. He failed. And so when God, now Jesus Christ, descends to Adam and he speaks to him, he goes to Adam. Adam would have been cowering in fear. He said, Jesus, don't look at me. Don't you know what I've done? I've caused the destruction and the suffering of billions of souls now. Could you imagine the weight of all of that on Adam? Wars, famines, child abuse, cancer, car accidents. All because Adam failed, he disrupted, disrupted the entire universal order. Do you see the weight of that sin upon him now? And so Adam would have been, Jesus, don't look at me. Look what I've done. What do you think in light of the gospel today? The first words out of the Lord's mouth, 2 is 12. What do you think were the first words? Again, this is mere speculation now because we don't have the words of this conversation. But we know it would have happened. The first words, I bet, if we go off this gospel, out of the word, out of the mouth of Jesus to Adam would have been, "Peace be with you." And I bet at that moment, our father, Adam, would have looked up at Jesus finally. And the Lord would have showed him, just as he did here, the wounds of his hands. And he says, I give you my divine mercy now. Jesus attacks the source of our shame. Transforms it. Which is why, look what happens next, going back to the gospel. He goes to the disciples and he says, peace be with you. And notice what our Lord does next. It's not by accident, this pattern. He says, he said, he breathes on them, hearkening back to the new creation, back to Genesis. He breathes on them, just like he, God had done originally to Adam, when he breathed his spirit into him, creating us. Now, that same language is applied here. Christ breathes unto the apostles. He says, receive the Holy Spirit. And then now notice the next gift that he gives the church in, the, in, in his resurrection. The first gift. Those whose sins you forgive are forgiven them. Those whose sins you retained are retained. The first gift that Jesus Christ gives his first priests is the powerful gift of what we now call confession. Confession, my brothers and sisters. You want to know why you confess your sins to me as a priest? Why I have the audacity to say to you, I absolve you of your sins in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit? Why do you think I want you to go into that little box and to confess your deepest and darkest and most embarrassing, shameful secrets? Because I'm nosy. <laughs> no. It is because Jesus Christ told me To listen to your sins and to forgive you the source of your shame. Because we can never grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ until we first confront that which hinders us. In 1957, there was a case which made all of the headlines in Paris. A man by the name of Jacques Faïs. 
was arrested for murder. He was brought up Catholic, but at the age of 17, he abandoned his faith, expelled from school for misbehavior and for laziness, didn't do his homework. At 21, now he married his pregnant girlfriend in a civil ceremony. But he didn't remain faithful to her. In fact, he, he had a wandering eye, abandoned his family, found another woman, impregnated her. His life was falling apart. And often what happens, and you notice this about the soul as well, that when we try to live apart from God, we tend to try to find solace in the things of the world. It's always the same dynamic. The money, the power, the honor, the pleasure. We tend to substitute God, our relationship with him, with those things. Money, power, honor, pleasure. But as we know, we know, we know the story. It never satisfies us. No matter how much power, honor, pleasure you get, the human heart always wants more. And so, of course, for Jacques, he wanted more. And so we thought, ah, I know what I need now. I need, I need a boat. He says, ah, if I just sailed around the world, I'll be finally be happy. I'll, I'll, I'll leave my family again, and I'll just, I'll just sail the ocean. But he didn't have any money, so what does he do? He robs a man by the name of Alexandre Silberstein. He was a money changer of gold coins. Jacques would bludgeon Alexandre, but amazingly, he didn't, he didn't kill him. He stumbled cautious, consciously, able to raise the alarm. The police come and began to chase Jacques. And as Jacques is fleeing from the police, he turns around with his gun and he begins to shoot wildly at the pursuing police. One of the shots hits Officer Jean Vernon, kills him. The other police finally arrive and arrest Jacques. He would be sentenced to execution through guillotine. They still guillotine people back in France in those days. But something amazing happened to Jacques. After a year in prison, through the work of a holy priest, he encountered the risen Lord there. And he became, in fact, his cause now is open. He's on his way to sainthood, the Jacques Fils. He wrote the prison chaplain, his priest, shortly before his execution. And I want to quote this at length because I want you to hear the transformation of this man. Again, a womanizer, a murderer, a robber, someone who, again, who had dabbled in all of the aspects of the world but still found it wanting. And this is what he wrote. I want you to hear his tone now. This is a direct letter to his priest. Now listen. Dear Father, here I am at the close of my life. My soul is at peace and my heart steady. In a few hours, a new and eternal dawn will break for me. If our Lord judges me worthy to be counted among his children. In these last moments, I could hardly help reviewing all the scenes of my past life in the radiance of the new life that is mine as I stand on the threshold of life. 
they are not sad because they have led to the love of Jesus, thus taking on a meaning I never suspected. Do you see what happened here? He was looking back on all of the events which used to cause him shame, all of his mistakes. But then now, all of a sudden, seen through the lens of God's divine mercy, that source of shame now became the springboard for his love for Jesus. No longer was he cowering in fear. No longer did he have to hide his eyes away from him, but he began to look at Jesus, and all of a sudden, his life took on new meaning. And he says, continues, Some are even happy, and I'm here thinking all those hours I spent at the foot of the improvised altar in the prison cell, or the time passed in reading the spiritual books your goodness knew how to choose for me. I owe you a heartfelt thanks, Father, for your perseverance in my regard, for your kindness and the care you have always taken for my soul's welfare, nourishing it faithfully with its one need, our Lord Jesus Christ. I am trying to thank you at least in part here below. But although I may, pre may seem presumptuous in saying this, I cannot hide from you the fact that it is from heaven whence all blessings flow that I should like to be able to thank you. I shall carry your name to heaven with me, written in my heart. And when the Lord allows me to cast a glance down to earth, I shall gaze into a dark little cell where a priest is celebrating the greatest of all possible sacrifices, uniting himself each day to crucified love. And then I shall ask our Lord to cast a gracious glance at his, on his faithful minister and fill him with blessings. Peace be with you, my Father. May the eternal light soon shine upon you also. Until we meet again in God, your humble and grateful sheep, Jacques. While in prison, Jacques also kept a spiritual journal. We still have it. You know his last entry in his journal? And I'll end here. It's powerful. The last entry in his journal was simply one line. Before, again, approaching the guillotine. This is what he wrote. All in caps, by the way. <laughs> he says, this murderer, adulterer, robber. He wrote this. In five hours... I will see Jesus. So let me ask you, do you think our brother Jacques is in heaven or in hell? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.